Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Bob Spoljarek from Method 3. Bob, it's really great to have you here. Thanks, Brad. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a bit about yourself, Bob. I've been in the um, IT services business for close to 22 years. I've spanned a number of dis- dis- uh, disciplines in that services business outside of the career pursuits. I have a wife and two children, 12-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old girl, and they take nice. up a fair amount of my time as well. Oh, that's really cool. So Method 3, you're telling me a bit about your company. I'd love for the audience to hear a bit more about what you guys do in the space that you're in. Thanks, Brad. Method 3 is amongst the many IT staffing companies. So we provide recruiting services for information technology positions. I'd say we're a little bit more unique because over our career and history as a company, We've also spent a fair amount of time in the recruitment process outsourcing business, which is a different model than the typical IT staffing model. And it provided our professional services team a very good ability to understand how to approach anything from a project standpoint. In recruitment process outsourcing, it's very project-based, like fixed price where you're focused on time to deliver and quality of hires. So it's quite a bit different than the IT staffing space. And we're able to take that IT or take the RPO fixed price project model and apply it to our IT staffing business. We also provide uh, professional services related to management consulting around a few disciplines. Nice. That's really cool. And for those maybe not super familiar with the recruiting space, I think you were telling me a bit about the progressions you've gone through as a company, starting with, I I think you called it RPO, and then progressing to some more consulting. I'd love to hear a bit more about what that journey has looked like for you guys and that progression. And even now, it sounds like you're doing some technology stuff, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's been cool for me to be a part of it. The founder, John Laporta, started the company in 1998 around the idea of helping companies recruit differently. Companies often worked with recruiters and paid a fee and it was a gun for hire type of mentality for recruiting services. RPO model that he conceptualized and a few other companies started doing it around the same time frame was where you actually became a part of your customer's brand, mm. sometimes using their, their logo as part of your recruiting efforts. You worked very closely with uh, the business side and the recruiter or HR side of a business, and you were on the hook with making hires as cost-effective as possible. So the more hires you made, the lower the per, the per cost item went. Mm. It's a pretty common model these days, and a lot of the larger players in the human capital market space have RPO divisions that work with large customers on an ongoing basis to help them with their recruiting overall. 
It's a tough business in economic downturns. There were now three since the company was founded, three major ones. And it's often a service that's uh, cut typically because companies stop hiring or they know that things have become unpredictable. So it's one of the first areas that is cut. So it's a difficult model to predict. And we diversified about 12 years ago into the IT space providing consulting services and also the IT staffing services where we put our employees on loan via contract to customers that have short-term or very specialized projects. So that's an area that we've been involved with and it's a a little bit more predictable and has uh, a little bit more of scalability than RPO does for a small business. We also dabbled for a very short time period in the general IT staffing space, or not IT staffing, labor staffing space. In that space, we were working predominantly with warehouses and call service centers and providing hourly workers on a time and materials basis. And that's a, that's a very challenging business and it takes a lot of effort to scale and to grow it. And there's a lot of turnarounds. There's a huge demand. So it is a good business for companies to be in. But for us, it was difficult to be in three different spaces and do any of them particularly well. And then the regression led to dissolving the the staffing, the general staffing business. And then about a year and a half ago, we also sold the RPO business outside of IT to a partner that we, we work with on the software side of things. Yeah, and that makes sense. So that brings us to today where we're predominantly focused on the IT side. And it could be IT for RPO projects or projects where a company needs us to come in and help them for a large hiring event, which includes multiple hires. It could be specialized consultants for short, short-term contract assignments where our employees are there. And then we're also providing professional services and management consulting in areas that include technology for robotic process automation and Mm. AI and data analytics. Oh, that's pretty cool stuff. So it sounds like you guys are even doing, you're telling me about some of the innovative uh, assessment and technology stuff and you you formed a partnership there. I'd love to hear a bit more about that and what's all going on there. Yeah, it's the company that we had worked with on the RPO side has a proprietary data analytics tool for human capital management. They provide a way for large enterprise businesses to combine disparate systems into a centralized dashboard. So on one hand, they're cleaning and aggregating data into very slick and neat reports that help a company see at any point in time, areas of their business from a standpoint of employees. It could be headcount, it could be the ratios of salaries to titles, geography, areas of expansion. And then they can also layer outside market data over top of their internal market data. The partnership, the company we have a partnership with, they, they have a slick AI tool as well that layers over top of it, which is able to provide predictive analytics around various data elements. It could be attrition, it could be uh, hiring demand, wage analysis, and it'll really look at 10 different data points at any point in time and provide suggestions to the business or business um, 
unit owners around things that they should consider changing or making adjustments with regards to their human capital. So it is, it's been fun to see how they've put it in place. And we've been really looking at ways to market it to the public sector and, and finding out how we can improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the public sector and government agencies with their workforce. Nice. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So obviously 2020 has been a crazy year and there's yes. been all sorts of impacts to different businesses and implications uh, to this year. What does this year look like for you guys in this space? It's, it has been an interesting year, there's no doubt. And I think that it's been an area of opportunity for a lot of companies to grow. And we've been really spending our time trying to identify those and, and spend time with them. And so that's a lot of, in a lot of ways that customer acquisition and gaining new customers or at least starting that down that path. We really started the year with a very strong trend. We had the ability to focus in the IT services that we identified as our core market and we had a lot of traction in the first quarter and even leading into the second quarter. We were in a lucky spot because we had acquired or we had started working with a new customer that was a very large organization and has had a lot of business. But what we found throughout the course of the year is that it's been very challenging for both us and our customers to predict what's going to happen next. And mm-hmm. you know, it seems every week not even every month that we were getting a new curveball and the world, not just a method three. This was something that we were seeing from a customer standpoint or from a, just an employee standpoint and being able to decide and make a decision. I'm a big proponent of decide and commit and it's difficult to decide and commit to something when you know that next week, the rules of the world could change again. And I think a lot of capital projects got pushed out and, So what this boiled down to for us was it was a lot of uh, working with customers through that process and then ultimately not being able to move forward on um, projects, which is natural because of the way the economy has been and the world has been. Yeah, we've just, we've spent more of our time now refining some of our internal processes, doing some learning initiatives for our professionals and really trying to figure out how we could use this time as wisely as possible to be at the ready when customers have more of a go forward strategy. Nice. So what do you see as the greatest challenge and maybe the greatest opportunity as we head into this new year? I'm really paying close attention to what all of the organizations are going to do with remote work. And the, it is a challenge. It's a challenge that I've really worked with my partners to embrace because I believe that organizations have to figure out how to be better at collaboration and working with employees remotely and figuring out how you build those seat side learning experiences in a remote environment. And if a business fails to do that, I think that they're really going to struggle in a competitive market with attracting the best talent. So to me, it's going to be interesting to see when, we have a clear path for workers to return to the office, what types of attrition companies face when certain companies, like maybe a competitor, two competitors decide one, we're returning to the office. The second one decides we're not Mm. in the IT space for certain. 
IT workers are prepared to work remotely and have been for more than a decade. So it's going to be a more attractive working situation for the one competitor who chose to work remote or continue to work remote. Oh, totally. The other aspect is when you have a geography that from a cost of living standpoint is much higher than other geographies, there's just going to be a mad rush to lower cost of living geographies when you can do the same work and maybe you're earning 10 or 15% less, but your wage or your cost of living is 25% less. You're still making more money in the end and not having as much stress and time and commutes and those types of things. So it's really going to be interesting. And I don't think anybody knows for certain what's going to happen, but there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines. I think when we, we have a full go back to work schedule. Oh yeah. yeah I completely agree. So what are some ways in which you guys build these lifelong relationships with your customers? You're telling me a bit about even how you guys approach meetings, having a couple people there to provide different perspectives. Tell me a bit more about how you build those relationships. Yeah, we really have hung our hat on referrals by the, for the most part. As we've tried to move beyond that and be more proactive, we, we recognize that there's going to be at least six or seven touch points that we have to have with a customer before they're really familiar with who we are and have a level of trust because it is such a competitive space and there's a, a lot of other companies that are offering their services. It, it takes patience on both sides to get to know one another and you really have to be prepared to have a way to click or connect with that customer as much as possible. And one thing that I've been a proponent of for a long time period has been having two people at minimum that are part of the conversation with a customer when you, you have that first conversation, because it, it's more from an odd standpoint, likely that there's going to be a connection that can be made and a, a level of trust that can be made. Beyond it being two people, we've, as a business, had a key initiative to be focused on diversity and inclusion amongst uh, all categories and making sure ensuring that we have that ability to offer a, a familiar face or a shared story from a different background to whomever we're working with. I think that's partially on the customer side, but even more so because of what we're providing to our customers is people. We're, yeah. we're providing people, we're able to recruit from a wide variety of demographics and different ways because of the diversity of our workforce and the people that we have. So I think that shared experience and more importantly, shared struggle, even whether it be from the past or something you can relate to, but more so in the moment, shared struggle is something that everybody like, builds bonds between people that are tough to break and, and nobody likes bad news, but it's always good. I, I think that bad news is something that's going to happen and it's how you address it. And it's good to address it in a good, in a positive way and, and work with whomever you have to share the bad news with to figure out what the next steps are and how you build uh, towards a better future. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that having a couple perspectives in the room and I think it, it's so important to build those relationships and connections. So that's yeah. great advice. There's one situation where we had a customer that was a school district and 
they had a grant to really build out a career uh, services center for their high school students. Mm. And it's an inner city school. The demographics are, are pretty much uh, low income and various races, so uh, multicultural. But the element of higher education and post high school careers isn't a, a very common topic. And so in going to the first career carnival, I, I was not sure what to expect, but I was blown away by how prepared the students were in their interview sessions and they're moving from booth to booth to talk to the employers and ask questions. And they, the school really had them prepared and it was pretty exciting to, to see that. But I noticed that the model of all of the employers, us included, had didn't work well because it was intimidating to the students. And it was also more geared towards what just had always been. You have a table, you have a backdrop, people stand behind the table, there's trinkets. We committed to the school to help. And the thing that really propelled us forward in the next career event that they had is we, in that commitment, had hired some students who were, well, alumni from the school itself, people who had graduated from the school, trained them through an apprenticeship type program we had. And the next career event, we had a booth with the table behind us. We had people out in front who were familiar to the students from a look and uh, dress standpoint. And our, our table was mobbed. And the career guidance counselors had a post-event debrief. And the companies were a little disturbed or upset or they had spent time. And they were unable to attract the kids to their booth. But there was this small, unknown staffing company that was the bell of the ball and had everybody at their table. So we ended up with many other key hires from that process and event. And the district actually recognized it and had us come in and provide additional services. And unfortunately, the grant money went away after a, a program had expired. It led to some other good things for us, but it just was an experience that, you know, it was, it was very clear to me that you have to pay attention to your audience and mm. you, you make sure that if you don't have those views, you get the right people there that believe in what you're trying to do and you believe in them and they'll be able to attract those people. And those other companies could see it after we explained it in, in the me meeting, but I think the future events were more successful, but it was, it was definitely an eye opener for us. Oh, I love that. That's an awesome story. Mm -hmm. So what key advice would you give maybe some of the younger sales and marketing leaders out there in terms of building these lifelong customer relationships? The, 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 there's a 10,000 reps uh, phenomenon that's out there and people don't always believe that or they, I don't know what side people are on, but it, it's definitely true that you have to you have to just go through the steps and the paces and there's no shortcut on the um, sales and marketing side. There's a certain number of at-bats or, you know, attempts or practice elements that you have to do. And each one is valuable and could be valuable in the future. So it's important to number one, prepare to just take a lot of, you know, attempts at, at working with somebody and, reaching out. So you have to build a big list and really just go at it. But number two is the research part is just as important, like spending time. And there's so much available information now and digesting it beforehand, because 
everybody only has a finite amount of time these days. We're pushed and pulled in so many different directions and messaging has been minimized to 140 characteristics and or characters. And there's so many short interactions that they have to be meaningful and you can really eliminate the unmeaningful ones through research and be prepared to have good questions ahead of time in those many at-bats that you, that you have to take. And I, th- I think this, this is the most easiest part and it's the most often overlooked is just be prepared to listen. Mm. Like, offer a question, pause, and the more you pause, the more answers you're going to have come forward. So listening sounds so simple but it is so key and listening's more than just hearing it's also taking whatever that information is and internalizing it and being prepared to bring that back to the other person and the things you really have to hear or listen for or what really is going to make a difference in their world either reduce their stress improve their time the amount of time they have to do something or free up time for themselves or Hmm. directly impact their budget and their financial aspects that they're concerned about. When you hear those elements and you internalize them and that person feels that you're actually working your best to help them solve those things, they're going to naturally want to work with you more. Love it. Yeah. It's such great advice. Thanks so much for joining Bob. I I appreciate your, your time today and sharing all your insights and wisdom in terms of sales and marketing. Thanks, Brad. I I like what you're doing here. I think it's a good podcast and I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that have good tips and advice and there's a a real need for uh, developing these skills. So it's, it's kudos to you for getting something off the ground that could be very valuable to a lot of people. Thank you. Mm -hmm.